0: You look good, you look good. We're going to continue in the book of James in just a moment. Before we do that, though, a couple of things uh, that I want to touch on. This week is our iClub retreat on Friday through Sunday, and we are so excited about that. Um, They're going to be leaving at 5 p.m. from here at the church. And after the service today, there is a meeting. So if you're a parent and you have a student that's going on that retreat then uh, if you can stick around after this service, there are some forms and things to sign, information to give you. Also, out in the lobby, uh, we have the envelopes out there. So this is one way, we said it last week, where you can invest in what God is doing there, even though you're not going to be there in person. Uh, And we're believing that God's going to do some amazing things in our young people's lives over those few days that they are there. So keep that in mind. And then next Sunday, come on, how many of you are enjoying the fall weather? A little bit cooler weather. Next Sunday is our fall party, so Sunday night, 4 p.m. Next Sunday is also when the time changes, so it's going to be dark a lot earlier. Uh, So we're meeting, we're gathering up at 4 p.m. at the McLaughlin's home, and you can see the address. It'll be online and, and things as well. I think it went out in a text message just last week. Uh, I believe but uh, you'll be able to join us for that bring a lawn chair and let's come hang out and have fun It's one of our favorite things that we do as an entire church body Where we gather together and eat good food and enjoy hay rides and inflatables for the kids and all those good things So you'll definitely want to be a part of that next sunday night as well um, So last week we looked at james chapter one and we kicked off uh, This series where we're studying the book of james or this letter that james wrote And hopefully you have been reading one chapter of James a day. We encourage you to do that every time we go through a specific book of the Bible, that you would take one chapter each day and read it continually throughout the series and allow the Lord to speak to you, allow the Holy Spirit to to point things out to you and and allow you to go deeper in His Word um, on your own personal time as you have time with the Lord. Um, and if you haven't done that there's no better time than right now to jump in all right so don't feel like oh I missed the first week no you might have missed the first week but you can jump in right now and be a part of that so start reading uh, this week with us and let's continue to do that together as we go through this series but I want to jump in uh, to James chapter 2 today and last week I told you that James um, doesn't really suggest things he's uh, you know, he tells us, hey, these are some things that you need to apply to your life. These are some things that your life should look like as a mature believer and follower of Jesus or a mature Christian. And so James chapter 2 starts off this way. Let's look at just the first four verses and then we'll continue to go through this. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, if you uh, if you know about the Bible, you know that there were not, uh, when it was written, this was not written in chapter and verse, this was written as one letter that was from beginning to end. And so it's interesting to me that, we ended last week with a verse that would end chapter 1 in our Bibles where he talks about pure and true religion is that you would look after the orphans and, and widows in distress and that you would not allow the world to corrupt you. And then immediately jumps into the fact that uh, you, how can you claim to have faith in Jesus if you are giving special preference to, and I love that he points out the fact that somebody who who is dressed a certain way and has what looks like everything they would need in life versus somebody who is what we would consider a poor person or somebody who is not dressed as well as somebody else. And so he jumps right into this and begins talking about favoritism and uh, discrimination. And it's important to point out that this is not talking about discrimination between right and wrong in God's word. How many of you know that God's word is true? It will always be. It always has been. This is not discrimination against, well, I don't want to do this, but I do want to do this. No, God's word is God's word. But this is talking about instances where uh, we're looking at the outside to determine a person's worth. Anybody ever struggled with looking at the outside appearance of somebody and and you made a decision about their worth based on how they looked on the outside? Um, I think about, you know, just a few instances, uh, one of them in particular, where it would have been easy to look on the outside and see that uh, it doesn't appear the same way on the outside as what it was on the inside. I remember there's a story where Jesus is there and, and everybody's, you know, it's like they're taking up this offering and this woman, come on, you remember this story? She puts in just two little coins into the offering and Jesus turns around to everyone and he says, she has given more than all of you have given. I mean, people were, I can just imagine this, people were dropping hundreds and they were, you know, they had their phone out and they're, you know, texting to give and it's like, woo you know, all these good things. And then this woman shows up and she drops a couple of copper coins in this, this offering bucket and Jesus says, what would look like to you on the outside as something that's not as significant because of her heart and the fact that she has given everything that she had. It's more significant than you realize. And she's actually given more than all of the rest of you. I think that when we, when we discriminate and we show favoritism against people or other people, we judge their value based on opinions and things that uh, aren't even really biblical things. Um, I like 1 Peter 2.23. It tells us that God is the one who judges fairly. Come on, is anybody glad that God is the one who judges fairly? And we tend to make judgment calls based on perception or a current situation or how someone appears, but that's not how God operates. And I remember when, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when when Samuel is going to anoint and we know because we've read the story but he's going to anoint David but he doesn't know who he's going to anoint he just knows that God has told him go and I'm going to show you who the next king of Israel is going to be and he gets there and he's looking at all the brothers and he gets to Jesse's house and and he's he you know like, what well, maybe this is the one well this one is surely the one because of how his appearance is and it looks like he's strong and you know this would be the one that God would choose and there's the no and the no and the no and the no and then God makes the statement to Samuel he says that hey don't judge on the outward appearance. I don't judge on the outward appearance. I judge based on what's on the inside. But that's hard for us to do sometimes because we can't see what's on the inside. A lot of times we see what's on the outside. And so we make judgment calls based on what we can see on the outside. But I'm glad that God does not operate that way, that he looks at the heart. And James gives us this example uh, that these believers must have been struggling with, this giving special treatment to the wealthy people over the poor people. Um We shouldn't judge someone's value based on perception or appearance on the outside. And James even goes on to talk about how this type of thing is even a sin. And this is one thing that I love, uh, that I've heard multiple times, you know, about how um, as a church, I love that we have have always wanted to be a church to where regardless of income, regardless of status, regardless of where you've come from or denominational background or anything like that, that you could come into this place and that this will be a place where you can connect with God, that you can serve Him and worship Him, and that we can join together to, to build the kingdom together. And he goes on, looking at uh, verses 5 through 9, he says, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose name, whose noble name you bear? You indeed, yes indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. Um, I, I don't believe that this is a verse that that's saying that, hey, poor people are the ones that are saved and rich people are not going to heaven and you know they're condemned or anything like that. I think that... In a lot of these these instances in the Bible, the emphasis was always, it was not on whether or not you had things or whether you were rich or poor necessarily. It was the condition of your heart. And a lot of times, whenever you find yourself in a season where you have more than enough, sometimes we lose focus and we lose sight of needing God in our lives. Sometimes we just lose sight of the fact that we actually do need God in our lives. One commentator described it this way. He said, This is an acknowledgement that those who are destitute often recognize their need for a Savior. And those living proudly in wealth and comfort frequently miss their need for God. I like this statement. It says that sometimes you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And I love how you ever found yourself in, in a situation like that where you figured out that God was all I needed because God was all I had. Sometimes you get to the end of your rope. And you realize, man, all I, I thought I needed all this other stuff, but really God is the one that is sustaining me. God is the one that is seeing me through. God is my provider, and he's going to take care of me. And in verses 6 and 7, it points out that the rich people that they were trying to favor and they were trying to impress were the same ones who were the ones taking them to court and slandering Jesus. Which when I read that, he, he, it's like James is saying, you're favoring these people over these people, but aren't these people the ones that take you to court and slander the name of Jesus that you are trying to preach and you are trying to bear. And he says, why are you doing that? What is what is what is it about that? So I begin to think, you know, like my mind starts racing and I'm thinking, are they giving them the best seat because they're hoping that maybe they'll stop doing what they're doing? Or they're giving them the best seat to try to impress them so that maybe they'll stop doing these things and stop making our life difficult and stop trying to... S- the spread of the gospel and what we're trying to preach and they're the ones that are doing this and james says it's those people that you're trying to impress and you keep giving the best seats in the house that are the ones that are taking you to court and and slandering the name of jesus that you are trying to carry forth and james brings them back to this part of what jesus said is the greatest commandment and jesus quotes an old testament verse somebody asks him and says hey what is the greatest commandment And you remember this, and Jesus says, Love the Lord with God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And James even points that out. If you look back in uh, verse 8, he says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which when I read that, and I think who this is written to, it's written to Christian Jews who would hear that and I can picture them they they get this letter from James and they're reading this letter and it says it's good for you to obey this law love your neighbor as yourself and it's almost like there would be a light bulb moment like uh I remember a story one time Jesus told a story one time about a Samaritan and there was somebody who was beat up on the side of the road and This person goes by and does nothing and this person goes by and does nothing and then this person decides to stop and they're the ones that help. And then Jesus ended that story and he said, so I want you to go and do likewise. I want you to live your life like that. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And I can almost picture it in my mind that they would stop for a moment and they would think, we've gotten off. We've gotten off because it's good for us to exercise and obey this command that would be called the greatest commandment. That not only we love God, but that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And James even goes as far as to make the statement that if you favor some people over others, if you're favoring the wealthy over the poor, whatever the situation is, that you're actually committing a sin. And then he goes on in the next two verses. Verses 10 and 11, he says, For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, You must not commit adultery, also said, You must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Now we talked about this, I believe it was back in our, our series, where we went through the, the book of Galatians and we were talking about how. You know, if if you're going to try to make yourself right with God by obeying all of the laws, if you break one, you've broken them all, and so that deal's off. Come on, is anybody thankful that Jesus came and fulfilled the law so that we could be free and so that we would not be slaves to sin and that we could put our faith in Him and follow Him? James, I think, is making the point that you can't be guilty of one thing, but your defense be that you didn't do something else. Um, You ever... (laughs) You ever done something to someone before, and then your defense to them? Come on, we can even think about this in marriage. You ever done this in marriage before? You ever had these discussions before in marriage where it's like, you know, I know that I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have done that, and I know it hurts your feelings, but at least I didn't. You know what I'm talking about? I, I know that that bothered you, and I know that I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have done that, but at least I didn't kick you in the shin. You know, like, like your defense is that you didn't do another thing, but you did do this thing. And I love that I almost picture it that he's saying you can't be guilty of one thing and then your defense for that one thing be, well, at least I didn't do that. You know, well, I committed this sin, but at least I didn't commit that sin. Well, <laughs> I, did, I operated in this way, but at least I didn't operate in that way. And it's almost this picture in my mind where you're trying to justify <laughs> The thing that you did do by saying something that you didn't do. Come on, we see this with our kids all the time. Anybody else? Come on, all the parents in the room where, well, at least I didn't do this. And maybe this, this sin of favoritism and discrimination, maybe it's something we still struggle with because we don't acknowledge or we don't completely understand how hurtful it is and how bad it really is to operate in this way that maybe we continue to struggle with it because we don't see the overall effects of it on a deeper level. Um, And James, it's interesting to me that James gives a picture of this when he immediately jumps into sins like adultery and murder. He says, if you operate in this way, it's a sin. And then he jumps into talking about adultery and murder, which in my mind... I'm thinking, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, I'm thinking, to me, there's like a huge emphasis on, hey, this isn't like, you need to listen. You need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to what I'm writing to you and what I'm giving you. Um, One person said it this way, if you're condemned as a murderer, it does no good telling the judge that you're innocent of adultery. If you're hanging from a chain, listen, if you're hanging from a chain off the edge of a cliff, It doesn't matter which of the links breaks because they're all connected. The end result will be the same. If you practice discrimination against those made in the image of God, you're guilty no matter how many rules you follow. And I love that picture of hanging off the edge of a cliff and you're holding onto a chain. And when you're holding on to a chain, listen, in our, in our minds, we would say, well, I did this, but at least I didn't do this. And what he's making the point of is when you're hanging off the edge of a cliff with a chain, it doesn't matter if it's the last link that breaks, if it's one in the middle, or if it's the one that you've got in your hand. They're all connected. And when one breaks, you fall. And he's saying, like, you can't, you can't justify doing one thing by saying, well, at least I didn't do this thing. He goes on, look at verses 12 and 13. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Um, what is James talking about when he talks about being judged by the law that sets us free? This is, this is what I think he's talking about. I think it's the freedom to obey God and do what pleases him. It's not the bondage of having to keep every single law to be made right with God. He's saying you're going to be judged by the fact that, hey, Jesus came and he set you free. He fulfilled the law. He set you free. You're no longer a slave to sin. But you're not just free from sin. You're free to something. You're not just freed from the sin of your past or the sin that held you bound. No, you're stepping out of that into something else. Like, you are free to now obey God. You are free to follow Jesus' faith. Like, you are free to to hear His voice and do what He calls you to do and do what His purpose is for your life. I think it's a freedom to obey God and do what pleases Him. And after this, you know, he talks about favoritism and discrimination and the sin that it is, I think that James makes the point. He says, we should look for opportunities to show mercy. Instead of judging, we should be merciful. And there appears to be, as I as I read the Bible, and I'm not telling you today that I have wrapped my mind around every bit of this, but as I read through the Gospels, and as I read through some of the things that Jesus taught, and I read this statement in James, it appears to me that there is a correlation between the way that we treat people and what we can expect in return. Like, there are so many scriptures about, hey, I think there's an important concept that jesus was getting at when he said here's the greatest thing you can do is to love god and to love your neighbor as yourself and i read through i read through verses like this this is in luke chapter 6 where jesus says do not judge others and you will not be judged do not condemn others and it will all come uh do not condemn others or it will all come back against you forgive others and you will be forgiven give and you will receive your gift will be returned to you in full Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Matthew six fourteen and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your, Heav- your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And then we we just read James 2, 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And and as I read verse 13, I thought to myself, this is the thought that came to my mind. What if we left the judging to God and we stepped in to offer mercy to people and pointed people to Jesus and offered his grace and forgiveness? What if we left the judging to the one who the Bible tells us is the only one who judges fairly and justly? The only one who can truly see into the depths of our heart and knows our motives. And we began to offer people hope and mercy and forgiveness. And all of these things that I believe look like loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And I pray that every person that walks into our church would experience this as a place of mercy and a place of hope and a place where they can meet with God and they can know him intimately. He goes on, verses 14 through 17. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, or in 2022 what we would say is i'm sorry i'm praying for you i'll be praying for you but you don't give that person any food or clothing what good does that do so you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds it is dead and useless and i love james's question because his question is this what good is it if your faith doesn't produce actions What good is it if you say you have faith, but it doesn't lead you to do anything? And he gives us a picture, I think, of what faith without actions looks like when he says that you pray for, you tell someone who doesn't have what they need to stay warm and to eat well, and that God will help them, but you don't do anything to help them. Um, One study of this verse calls this kind of wish or this kind of prayer. It says that it's a cop-out. And it's a refusal to help the person in need. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because I know what many of you might be thinking. Well, I can't help everybody. Anybody ever had that thought? I, I just, I can't, I don't have the means. I don't have the resources. I don't have the capacity. I don't, I, like, I can't help everybody. I heard this statement one time uh, that I want to share with you today. He said, many of us don't help anyone because we don't feel like we can help everyone. But he said, what if we had the mentality that I'm going to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? What if we were a church of a lot of people that every person said, I'm going to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? And I may not have the capacity. And God may give you, as you begin to do for one, as you wish you could do for everyone, God may give you more resource and more capacity to be a blessing to other people and help other people. But what if instead of I can't help everyone, so I really can't help anyone what if we took the stance that we might not be able to help everyone but we are going to help whoever God leads us to help and when people come across our path I'm going to do for one what I wish I could do for everybody and we may not have the capacity or the funds or the resources to do everything for everybody But man, I think we could meet a lot of needs in our community if every person sitting in this room and watching online right now would take the stance that I may not be able to do it for everybody, but I'm going to do for one person what I wish I could do for everybody. I think this is what he's getting at. He's, He's making the point that you are the vehicle that God wants to use to help people. And the faith that you claim to have should cause you to act. Jesus would say it this way. We know this. He would call you a light. And he would say, what, what good is it if you put the light under a basket or under a bowl? No, a light is meant to shine so that everybody can see. And what does Jesus say? He says, so in the same way, let your light shine before other people so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That you would live your life in such a way That people would look at your life and that they would glorify. That you would point people to Jesus by the way that you live your life. By the way that you treat people. By the way that you help people. By the way that you put your faith into action. You're a light. We could say it this way. If you say you trust God, it should affect your feet. If you say you trust God, it should affect your feet. I like this statement. Your faith has to get married to your works. Some of us need to have a ceremony today after church. Where your faith gets married to your works. And it's no longer just declaring that I have faith in God, but no, my faith is leading me to do something. My faith is leading me to help people. My faith is leading me to be, to be a light in my community and in my family and in the people's lives around me. James goes on, verses 18 through 20. He says, now someone may argue. Some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, these are some verses that every time I read this, it gets me, and it it reminds me in a moment that faith without works is not only dead, but he makes the point. He makes the point, he gives us an example that someone may try to say that they have faith or that some people have faith and some people have action, but in reality, our faith is shown by the things that we do. It's the things that we do that prove our faith. And so we're saying we have faith, but it doesn't lead us to do anything. And James would make the point, he says, can that faith save anybody? Can that faith do anything for anybody? It's the action that's behind the faith. That makes it complete. It's the action that's behind the faith. That brings it to maturity. And then James. I mean every time I read this. I think James just takes it to another level. Because he says some people say they have faith. And some people say they have works. And really I'm making the point. That those two things need to get married. That your faith should produce something in your life. It should produce good works in your life but it's almost like James says let me prove to you that faith and works go together and that faith without works is useless he says you believe in God you say you have faith in God he says I love this translation he says good for you I can almost sense a little bit of sarcasm (laughs) good for you and then he gives us the reason why he says do you know that even the demons believe there's a God and know there's a God but they don't do anything with that that doesn't like that kind of belief is useless. Come on, anybody ever been compared to a demon before? <laughs> this is <the> first time <laughs> you read through Jesus, like, whoo, I don't know. I mean, he says like if 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 it's not leading you to do anything, it's useless. And he says even the demons they they believe they know they know God's real. And if you don't have actions behind your faith, backing your faith up, your faith leading you to do something, then really your faith is useless. Useless. We've, we've read this and quoted this many times, but I want to tie it in because this is one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10, because it reminds us, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Yeah. In other words, I'm going to set you apart, I'm going to save you, I'm going to redeem you, not just so I can free you from something, but because I have something for you to do. I have some purpose for your life that I have called you to step into, and the reason I'm saving you, the reason I'm making you new, is so you can step in and do the things that I created for you to do from the very beginning. We place our faith in Jesus, and he saves us so we can do something. And We can't just live our lives and have faith and not do anything with that faith. And just a few examples that I put down, I mentioned last week that That statement that the Bible doesn't necessarily talk that much about deeper teaching. It's a call to deeper action. It's a call to read, to listen, to hear, and then to act on what you hear. Act on what you know. Do something with what you hear. Do something with what you know. I mean, if you think about it, Ephesians 2.10, it's a call to action. Like, you were saved so you can do these things that were prepared for you to do. The Great Commission is action. Like, Jesus says, go. Go and make disciples. Go and baptize people. Go and teach them everything that I have taught you. Like, go. It's a call to action. Even, even think about this. Even the invitation from Jesus where he says, follow me. It's an action. Follow me. Follow me. Let me show you what it looks like to love people. Let me show you what it looks like to serve people. Let me show you what it looks like to lay your life down for people. Let me show you what it looks like to follow me. Act. Come Come out and follow me. Someone, someone said it this way. If you want to understand the strength of your faith, look at what you do. If you want to understand the strength of your faith, look at what you do. Look at what your faith is leading you to do. If you want to understand the strength of your faith, look at what you do. And I'll say it again. If you say you trust God, it should affect your feet. It should affect what you do. I want to read the next five verses, 21 through 25. He says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Now I want to pause there and then we'll grab the last verse right here at the very end. But James gives us these Old Testament examples of Abraham and Rahab. And as he's, you know, writing this, he said, do you remember Abraham? You remember the story of Abraham? You remember the story of Rahab? Like, let me point out to you that, that there was significance in what they did. There was significance in their obedience and their faith leading them to actually do something. I love how verse 22 puts it. It says that Abraham's faith and actions worked together. And it was his actions that made his faith complete. Do you know what the word complete here, as we, it's translated in this translation, you know what that word means? To bring to maturity. It's saying that what Abraham did brought his faith to maturity. What Abraham did brought his faith to maturity. I told you last week, I believe that a lot of James is this picture of Christian maturity. What does it look like to be a mature follower of Jesus, a mature Christian? And part of this example that he gives, he even says that, listen, what Abraham did, his actions, it brought his faith to maturity. It was a maturity thing. And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to bring us to maturity and bring the worship team back. I think that Christian maturity looks like faith that leads to action. Faith that leads to doing something with it. And then chapter 2 ends this way. Here's the last verse, verse 26. James says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I want to end with, This statement I read this last week while I was studying for this and reading several things, and it says this, many of us have spiritual life, yet we're spiritually sick. We attend church to hear what the great physician has to say and leave feeling good about his prescription. We remain spiritually unhealthy though because we don't swallow the medicine. Once we hear God's word, we must act on it to be transformed by it, which kind of reminds me of a word that God was giving our church at the beginning of 2022 that's been on this back wall for 10 months as a reminder that God is trying to transform us from the inside out. That we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And what this is saying is that There are a lot of times when we want to know what God has to say about our situation or about our circumstance or where we are, and we feel good about the direction that he's leading us, but we remain spiritually unhealthy because we never swallow what he told us to do. We never swallow the medicine. We feel good about the prescription. Come on, anybody ever got a prescription before and you took it home and then somebody asked you, it was like, you've been taking your medicine? Come on, I feel, like, I feel like somebody who just came today to ask you, have you been taking your medicine? <laughs> I mean, are you just reading God's word to read it or are you reading it so that you can apply it to your life and actually become more like Jesus? You've been, you've been taking your medicine? I know this is, how, this is how it goes in our house. I'll go through an entire day and I'll wake up and have a bad headache. Anybody ever just wake up and you have a bad headache? Wake up and have a bad headache and I'll go through the whole day and, and I'll get home that night. And I'll, I'll tell Amanda, I'll say, God, I've just been struggling with this headache all day long. I cannot shake this headache. I mean, I just felt like I couldn't even focus on anything or whatever. And this is what she'll ask me. Come on, you know where I'm going with this. Did you take anything? And my answer is always, no. <laughs> Never even crossed my mind. It's either usually that or I'm bad about not drinking enough water, which can obviously cause, you know, like physical issues and, and uh, headaches and things like that. So it's usually like, have you drank any water today? <laughs> you know, Have you taken any Advil today? Because that's what it's there for. <laughs> so it can help you. And for a lot of us, we, we read God's word, we listen to God's word, we show up to church, and just like this statement said, and we want to know what God has to say about our situation. We want to know what he would prescribe for our situation. And then we get the medicine, and we take it home, and we put it in the cabinet, and we never take it. We never do anything with it. Yeah. And James is making the point that that kind of, that kind of thing doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing, as we talked about last week, is like looking at yourself in a mirror, walking away, and forgetting what you even look like. Yeah. We've got to be people who do what God's Word says. Amen. And just like Abraham, the doing and the action behind our faith is what brings our faith to maturity. Just saying we have faith does not bring our faith to maturity. It's experience. It's acting on what we say we believe. It's the action behind it that brings it to maturity. Will you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. We're going to sing this this last song together and have an opportunity to receive prayer if you need prayer for anything but I just want to ask you right where you are will you bow your heads and just close your eyes and I just want you to just you and the Lord right where you are right where you're standing just ask the Lord come on just ask him say what are you speaking to me right now many of us in this room may not even need to ask that question because we know as we're reading through the book of James we're reading through this letter we know some areas that we're struggling in, or maybe where we need to, you know, put action behind our faith. Allow our faith to lead us to do something, or maybe where we've gotten distracted, and the Lord's calling you back today. But right where you are, I just want you to ask ask the Lord, what are you what are you saying to me right now? And I want to pray for you. And our prayer team can go ahead and come down to the front. I want to pray for you and then we're going to have an opportunity for you to receive prayer if you need prayer for anything in your life. So Lord, today, God, we thank you for your word, your word that has been preserved. It was inspired by you. It may have been written by people, but it was inspired by you. And Lord, we tell you today, thank you. We believe that it's true. We believe that it's what we need. We believe that it is the ultimate truth that we need to to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, I pray even in this one chapter that we have studied today and we have talked about today, even though we can't necessarily get to everything that we may want to talk about, Lord, where we've just hit on things, I just pray that you would allow it to sink into our hearts and it would not just be something that just sits there, but that it would lead us to put feet to what we say we believe, to put action behind what we say we believe. God, we want to be people that love you, Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So would you help us to do that? Would you lead us to do that? And Holy Spirit, I pray if there's any person here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, I pray that you would draw them for prayer today in Jesus' name.